Welcome to the Sandbox. Welcome to the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. We're uh, really excited to share this conversation with you today that we uh, we had actually, it's hard to believe it was almost a year ago that we were in New York City uh, as part yeah. of our last road trip. Yeah, it was, uh, it was in May of last year. Yeah. And we talked with... Uh, all different kinds of fascinating people. I love our road trips, and I'm looking forward to uh, our next one in Houston that's coming up uh, in a couple months from now. Pretty quick, yeah. yeah. Um, but for today, we're uh, going to share a conversation that we had with Samir Salmanovich. He lives in Harlem. Uh, he's within a block of Central Park. We could actually see it out of his apartment window. Which fantastic which is super place. Cool. Um, he described himself a little bit as, a, as an urban contemplative, which I think is a really cool concept. Sometimes we think about contemplative... Uh, thought as being kind of secluded out in nature. And, and he is right in the middle of New York City, right in the middle of all of it, um, and is still kind of practicing that way of, of being. And I think it's really exciting. Yeah, this conversation really stuck with us in, in lots of ways. It actually has helped inform our podcast and the way we structure things. And uh, we really are excited to share it share it with you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just one note as we begin this uh, conversation, uh, Samir does tell a story that has a little bit of explicit language in it. And we just want you to know that if you're listening, uh, maybe you're sensitive to that or someone else who's listening with you might be, uh, maybe listen to this episode at a different time. But with that, welcome to episode 62. Uh, My name is Samir Salmanovich. You can pronounce it in many different creative ways. (laughs) Um, I live in New York, in Harlem, and that's where we are having this conversation. Um, I see city as um, as a sanctuary on its own. Mm. This is where people come with dreams. This is where sort of nature meets culture, mm. uh, uh, particularly here next to Central Park, where we are. Um, I tried to live, to not just survive, but thrive in the city over the years um, by listening and observing. There is a city hum as you come in, right? And this city hum for me is like this, similar to a wind at Yellowstone Park. Mm. You know, it's just a equally beautiful uh, and and I'm learning to find out how to be um, sort of a urban, not a monk, but <laughs> urban person that is at home in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, no, scrap that. Not urban person that's been at home, but a person who needs silence and contemplation mm-hmm. and needs uh, nature and needs grounding to actually feel that in the middle of the street hmm. like uh, uh, only then you can sort of learn to live with the city which is really like a bad girlfriend <laughs> I mean she's gorgeous and you cannot do without her but at the same time she doesn't need you <laughs> and she can do just fine without you you know uh, but you can do without her and uh, so New York is like that and I think like after, you know, 10 years in the city now, maybe 12, um, you know, she's, she loves me back uh, a little bit. <laughs> so uh, I'm originally from Croatia. I came to the United States to the seminary and finished uh, my graduate school here, then came to New York City with all the hopes to bring people to Jesus. And uh, 
and we were um, sort of targeting people and having all kinds of campaigns. And I spent, uh, um, you know, six years figuring out how to bring people to Jesus. And then I uh, went to California for four years. And in that path, I have met too many beautiful, wonderful people and ideas uh, on the way to consider exclusivism of some parts of evangelical theology to be a good news anymore. Mm. The news is not neither good, not new. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I am in seeking of a better news that is actually news. <laughs> um, so that's where I am spiritually. Um, and, and personally, I spend a lot of time thinking about the fact that I am in a second part of my life. Uh, I'm 51 now. And... And I try to integrate in my life an experience of ending, losing, um, as something that is equally as beautiful as growing and gaining. Mm. Um, That fascinates me, that whole concept of moving towards death, that is equally sacred moment as birth is and should be lived with full awareness and full presence. Uh, walking towards that Um, and so that's one thing and then I also do a lot of cooking I have been when I was in the sixth grade I hosted the national cooking show in Croatia former Yugoslavia a national cooking show in sixth grade yes yeah I was a guest hosting Uh, I was not hosting all the time but I came as a guest host and um, and since then I have been doing that uh, I grew up with uh, very colorful and very dedicated cooks at home mm-hmm. and had my 10,000 hours of, you know, Malcolm Gladwell kind of thing right. by the time I was 16. Um, and only recently I have, in the last several years, I've started cooking daily and, and bringing people over uh, in a more systemic and organized manner. Um, and uh, so... So that's where I find a lot of uh, my personal satisfaction and uh, an intersection where my um, where my heart and mind and my body all flow together. Uh, so mm. I am not a fan of cooking shows <laughs> at all. I think people should cook instead of watch others cook. Although watching has historically in tribes been important to watch other people cook, but we have flipped. We have lowered the mm-hmm. hours of we spent cooking and dedicated all this hour to watching others cook. So I can talk about cooking forever, but that's uh, <laughs> why it's important for the soul. Uh, um, and uh, I have two daughters. They just uh, one just came back from college, uh, and another one is still in college, and they are the most important thing, obviously, to a dad. Um, sometimes they tell me, why don't you try one more time? I said, I don't want to risk having a son. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two girls as well, so I... <laughs> oh, that's great. I'm with you. I, yeah. So, yeah. So those are the, some of the things yeah. Uh, yeah. we're working on. Um, you talked a little bit about cooking earlier. 
Yeah, um, maybe maybe from uh, from a conversation that you had over a meal, something that shifted. I see. Or, or or brought up a new story or a new question for you to be thinking about that you wouldn't have if you wouldn't have been in that in that yeah. situation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the meals are one of those. Uh, a meal is basically the first human ritual. You know, it came. People were just surviving and hunting around, and once they discovered fire, and they gather around, they were able to actually treat food, and have a either fire and later pot as a sort of like a family stomach that <laughs> that treats food for everybody, so we can afford to feed the growing brain. We started sitting around the meals and having actually time to ponder things instead of always grazing and chewing, right? So when we ponder things, we think about the meaning and we start spinning stories. Uh, this is where, you know, children started dancing and elders started telling stories of memory of their lives. Hmm. This is where society started basically around the, around the meal. And um, so, so these days I try to, um, I have, I have had, um, you know, kind of full-blown dinners for like 10, 20 people, maybe, I don't know, maybe a thousand times in my life. Um, once I cooked um, for a friend, invited me, says, oh, you cook, can you cook for us? I say, yeah, sure, for, for a wedding? Yeah, I'll, you know, I thought it's kind of like a little intimate group. It's 120 people, and I had to, <laughs> like, pull it together with, you know, three or four dishes mm. for 120 people. Uh, and... Uh, and not in a commercial kitchen, just like a... <laughs> so, uh, so, and then I, I, you know, so that, that's what attracts me to the meal is that people come around the table and you cannot, you know, historically people, you t put out your weapons when you sit at the table. You know, you, you don't sit with the weapons, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you you sit there and you are able to you eat together from the same pot. So there's a trust involved. Mm. Anytime you eat from my pot, you're actually putting your faith, <laughs> F-A-T-E, in my hands, right? Not knowing what's there. So it's really uh, this um, giving giving of the trust to other person. Um, so what we do, what what... What we do on Friday nights, for example, in our family, uh, we have been doing, um, so I observe Sabbath with Judaism, you know, okay. Friday night to Saturday night for the last, I don't know, 20 years, mm. and it has been a beautiful practice, and we do specific acts of discipline and creating our sandbox called mm. Sabbath, mm -hmm. uh, in which we are free uh, to be. Uh, as human beings, not human doings. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then on Friday night, when we start, we we have a, we play on a Psalm 23, and we uh, bring a cup, and then everybody's everybody notices some things or pay attention to the week they have, that has passed, and they're thankful for something. So everybody shares around the table, and then we pour wine into the cup, and until it overflows, it always needs to spill over. And he says, my cup overflows. 
because mm. uh, gratitude is one of the ways that you can really change your your uh, somatic reaction to the world really quickly your heart and breathing changes everything changes in your body with gratitude so we would share that and and over over the years it has been really it sharpened our attention to things in your life but what was most uh, intriguing for me is that my daughters as they were growing up on Friday nights they had a lot of parties you know <laughs> they say hey can we go out this birthday there's this dance there's this I said two times a year uh, we have to three times a year uh, once per season except summer uh, you can go out on Friday but otherwise we're all home for dinner all evening we are eating long and telling stories and often listening to music and dancing mm -hmm. as a family so um, we would play with all kinds of you know, candles and gifts and um, uh, readings and poems and things like that but on Friday night so what they figure out if I cannot be with my friends my friends can be with me so I said can I bring my friends on Friday night I said yeah I'd love to <laughs> know what you guys are talking about <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that, but I, you know, I was like, yeah, guys too, everybody. So, so my daughter would bring uh, five of her girlfriends on a regular basis, and they all started talking to school. Oh, let's go for Friday night. It'll be gourmet dinner, you know, at uh, my daughter's Letta and Letta's place. And uh, so they would come over here, and then we would pull out the cup, and then they would all go around, and they're. Oh, there's a Muslim girl, there's like atheist girl, like a Jewish humanist and all kinds of characters. Mm -hmm. And so they go all around and then they uh, say what they're thankful for. And that would take sometimes like a long, long time because these girls, they can talk. <laughs> and then I remember once there was this girl, she's an artsy atheist girl. And I said, okay, so let's pray. She says, can I pray? You know, I said, well, yeah, let's see how that'll go. <laughs> so she had the most beautiful prayer I've ever heard. She prayed long time and she went thankful about everything, her observation about things, her, her heart came out like right on the table. And she was, we, we were so peaceful and we were so ready for for dinner um, and I was so happy about that um, and so we we and then the older girl my older daughter started to bring everybody and it will be all, all Friday texting like how many do you have like five maybe seven I said no that's not enough I need to know the number because <laughs> you know there is a difference in a cooking <laughs> well well I'll tell you and they just keep going back and forth and you know then we made a roll I need to know by noon on Friday <laughs> the, the total number and um, so that was that was something that has um, affected other people around the table and us as well hmm. so I feel like people who have been in 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 in, in traditions that include ritual and habits there is an easy way a creative way as long as you're generous about others and you're able to learn from others you you then can give those things to other people mm. right but the prerequisite is that you are a learner first you can never be a taught leader or leader or influence people without 
deciding to be influenced first, to be led mm. first, to be taught first. And if you have that attitude, everybody wants to talk about Jesus, uh, <laughs> you know, or, yeah. or anything that's on your mind or yeah. Muhammad or, or, or your atheism, whatever you have to give. Mm -hmm. If you are curious and receiving first, if you're a growing person, everybody wants to follow. Mm. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like it requires uh, generosity, but it also requires um, intentionality. Like you have to, this didn't just happen. You know, you had to say, no, Friday night, this is what we're doing. And you can have, yes. you know, a time off once a season or whatever, but this is what we're doing. So it's generosity that meets intentionality. And, and, and that's how uh, maybe we, maybe that's yes. how we, we change our narratives and our stories. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think the, the discipline is underrated. <laughs> Uh, discipline is basically a focused attention over mm. a period of time and and it, it creates uh, again a sandbox <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, if you will um, so with our daughters I mean they're growing up in this very very metropolitan sort of anything goes environment but we had these boundaries with them you know mm -hmm. it's not about I you know I don't want to talk with you about whether you believe in God or not, but on Friday night, you're going to be home and we're going to be thankful. <laughs> right? You will like it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, you don't even have to like it. You're just going to have to think yeah. about what you're thankful for. That's yeah. all you need to do and be with us. And I, I know later when they, you know, after high school and college, they looked back and say, thank you. Thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. That was the best thing. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have our, our church community it's called citylightscommunity.org and uh, it's a group about 20-30 people in New York and if any of your listeners ever come to New York come and visit us we meet on Saturdays um, and um, uh, we have Reverend Vince Anderson he's our, our music director yeah, we interviewed him yesterday yeah, yeah. and he is just uh, really special and so, so we go to this community and my daughters have experienced this community as opening into the world rather mm -hmm. than closing. Mm -hmm. So what if church is a place where you come and say, hey, church is all boxed in. I mean, uh, a world is all boxed in. But when you come to the church, we, bu we, we bust the box, mm -hmm. right? So Vince, once uh, we had a series on Psalms. It was, uh, all of our services are... Uh, are very courageously created. So, for example, we would have a Mardi Gras service. We would bring all the umbrellas and colors and gold and purple and bring all the food we're not supposed to eat <laughs> and have a New Orleans band and put the table in the middle and dance around and celebrate human ability to sin. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Luther would say, you know, sin boldly. Uh, <laughs> But it's one, of, it's one of these places between the uh, Christmas uh, and uh, between Epiphany and, uh, and, and Lent. So it's kind of a last hurrah for the partying. So we will have a service around that. But one of the series we had was on Psalms, and it was Psalms and Blues, Psalms and Jazz, Psalms and Disco, mm. and Psalms and Hip Hop. So we would use psalms in order to uh, connect it with the contemporary song. So we went over history of hip hop, and obviously on the screen there was uh, um, 
you know, the, the, the lyrics that we went mm -hmm. through and learning and Vince took us through those lyrics. And one of the listenings that we had at the service was uh, use F word. Can I use the word F, mm -hmm. F word here? Sure. Okay, yeah. so so one of these one of our elders, very respected man uh, by children and youth and everybody, stands up and says, "This word fuck is very important." <laughs> and everybody is like, "Oh, so now we're going to be cool people using the f word in a service." <laughs> and but no, discussion went much deeper and said, "There's always edges of language, and if it's not that word, it'll be another word." Mm. So there has to be a word that actually where the language is has a boundary and that you can express unexpressible. It's unfortunate that it means intercourse, <laughs> which is a beautiful thing. And we use it in order to, I don't know, it's just weird. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have a problem with the word. It's just accept that what it means. If it would mean something else that is really bad, then yeah. But what happened is we started conversing about it and children were there and youth were there and it went out of control and the word was used like 20, 30 times. <laughs> and so we were all like, did we really have this conversation? <laughs> so we are going out to some pho soup place all together in Chinatown after that and we are walking as a group and there's kids in front of us and here's the conversation. They're talking and they're like murmuring and they're commenting and one of them says, fuck something. And the others come to him and say, you cannot use that word. I said, why? He says, you can use that word only in the church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, now, now, now think about that. Uh, it's not about being cool or using the word and you're not supposed to use. It is that, that, there has to be a community where it is safe to talk about anything, mm. consider anything. There is no changing of the story mm. if you cannot hit the bottom, open things up, open the can of worms, say unsayable, mm -hmm. think unthinkable. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and for that kid, the, the church became that place. Exactly. Which is so opposite the experience of so many people. Yeah, so it's exactly that place. And, you know, we we do not demand beliefs, practices, attitudes, any of that, but we do ask for participation. I mean, you can, God is, you know, God is optional, but you have to bring the breakfast next week. <laughs> because, right. because breakfast is our liturgy, mm -hmm. and this is where we come. Uh, and I think that was, that's biblical as well, uh, you know. So, um, so that's a lifeline for me. That mm. City Lights uh, is something I, I really, um, it, it keeps my week together. It just uh, it keeps my family grounded, friends, uh, just so much is happening mm -hmm. that way. Um, yeah. And, and I've heard about uh, in, in Faith House, uh -huh. um, I've just, could you say something about, about what you're doing with Faith House? Yeah, Faith House uh, Manhattan is something I uh, started when I came to New York second time and I raised money and said, well, what would it be like to have a church or have a spiritual community or a temple, mosque, synagogue, however you want to call it, where Christians are not in charge? 
like how can we have a church where Christians are not setting all the assumptions and setting all the questions? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, uh, or Muslims or Jews. So we started a, a, a community that had uh, three women and one was uh, trained and capable of being an imam. Uh, one was a student finishing a Hebrew seminary. Uh, uh, a rabbi and one was an Episcopalian uh, a woman on the on the journey to be ordained as an Episcopal priest so we organized maybe over the years maybe a couple hundred events uh, and it's called Living Room and it's just where people come and one of the groups uh, shares their practice and their belief and who they are and others come real close to the fire where they warm their hearts. Mm. So you're not dialoguing. You're actually invited to experience something they're experiencing in an appropriate manner as a guest, uh, like you would experience it in a living room. Because if you, when you come to a living room, somehow it's all fine, right? doesn't matter if your uh, neighbor is a Hindu. Let's say you come in mm. and they say, well, I don't want to go in a temple. I don't know. I, it's, I'm, it's awkward. Well living room is not awkward mm-hmm. and we have food that has been mm-hmm. part of puja that we gave to the idols and but it's great food <laughs> <laughs> so you can take it or not um, so you will somehow become if it's in context of life itself we all become more gracious and more accepting and more open and have bigger capacity to learn so we did that for I don't know 20 30 different religions uh, on a regular basis mm-hmm. that people will learn the problem with the inter the challenge with the interfaith work is that people do not know their own tradition mm. very well so it is all nice and and well to say hey we all need to understand each other's faiths and be and be together but our capacity to understand is really limited uh, as human beings uh, because there's just too many religions that have too much insight and too much beauty in them to be able to understand. If you want to understand Judaism, you need to be like 500 years old, you know. <laughs> but nobody can make that happen. So, so you are actually left to dig a hole in one spot to get the water. Mm-hmm. You know, if you keep changing the spots, you're not going to go deep enough. Mm-hmm. Or in a relationships, if you keep changing the partners, you are just going, you know, an inch deep and a mile wide, you know, in in in, in a, like a in, a in a love relationship. But so so digging in one spot is really important. And uh, so interfaith work is nobody's child, so to speak. People say they want to participate and it's important, but they will not take a piece of the budget in a, in a synagogue mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. invest into that on a regular basis. They're not going to send their members. Everybody is concerned barely keeping up the identity of their group. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so nobody funds that. And you cannot apply for grants or other things because it's religious, although it's not religious. Right. It's actually educational, it's social, it's cultural. Uh, but it's in the religious umbrella, so it it is actually so that that work has a challenge of funding that is really really critical, yeah. uh, and I hopefully 
the government and politicians and society will come to understanding that if they invest a fraction of the money they invest into fighting other religions or fighting the wars or all kinds of ways that that are mm -hmm. put out there uh, and and invest into people who are um, who are nurturing these spaces where people come together and actually exchange that you'll go far far further and faster uh, that because uh, sometimes I've listened to these politicians who talk about Muslims it's like do you know any like right. who am I talking about oh right. I, this sounds like a movie that came out 10 years ago you know that's mm -hmm. kind of a Muslim you're talking about right. or, mm -hmm. and the same thing is in the Middle East when they talk about Christians they don't talk about I don't know uh, you Dave mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a nice person wait what right. <laughs> They talk about, you know, who knows, you know, what is served yeah. to them. We, we, we reduce one another to caricatures and, and it makes it easier to uh, demonize the other. Yeah. I guess I'm curious what else we should know. <laughs> I feel like we talked about a bunch of different things and it's all like really good stuff. But what other things are on your mind or what other things? Uh, mm. What kinds of questions should we be asking? What questions should we be asking? That's a, that's a very good question itself. What questions should we be asking? What conversations we need to have? You know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, for all of us, what mm -hmm. conversations we do need to have? Mm -hmm. Whom do we wish is in a room to have this conversation? Really, who needs to be here in this room mm -hmm. for this conversation? What conversation we need to be in and who needs to be in the room? Like that's a good start, and it's on it on its own. Uh, um, I, um, you know, one of one of the one of the pieces to, uh, you know, really uh, consider is is that we find ourselves drowning under information and knowledge and all of it is becoming like a noise like a background noise like we don't talk about electricity anymore we used to when the first light came people talked about electricity all the time right oh my goodness did you get the bulb you know <laughs> i did get the bulb but the second generation of the bulb for edison it's amazing it actually can throw light three feet further <laughs> uh, and people would be talking about that right so now the time has passed when we talk about the new information new knowledge new advice any anything that you want to know yeah I don't want to talk about what I can know because I I there's so much out there there's it is such a big big waves of that so how do you respond to that complexity without exploding, without running with it? How do you respond to such an amount of change without being chased by it or chasing it? So mm -hmm. and my, my hunch is that you respond to that complexity by increasing the simplicity mm -hmm. of the simple human experience. What makes you human and what makes you this particular human? Those things will matter. 
Everything else will go to artificial intelligence or robots or automation. Everything else is going to be farmed out to the technology. So, so that element of having a body, of having memory that is connected, they found out that all of our memory is connected with our ganglia, which is, is connected with our bodily experience. Hmm. So that's why the idea is that we will, you know, all these conversations really drive me crazy of people who want to live forever and put their minds into some sort of a place and then 500 years later they're going to live, you know, and I I don't know even where to begin to, <laughs> to, to talk about frustration about that. Uh, same thing about investing into the Mars but not into the Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so so this simplicity piece is that that when you have a memory of something it actually if you have a memory of kicking a ball right when you have that memory your foot nerve is going to be activated hmm. so there is no a brain is not something attached uh, the, the body is not something attached to the brain, but brain is something attached to the body, right? It, the body is mm-hmm. a bigger thing. So that's one thing. Second, emotions, imagination, uh, um, stories. Uh, uh, so all that conversation that started with Blade Runner, I don't know if you remember that mm-hmm. movie, that if you don't, how, how you will know who is human because the machines don't have a story and a, and a memory mm-hmm. that goes it's further connected with their bodily experience so what i'm saying is responding to the complexity is as simple as getting more physical in life getting uh uh attending every day to whatever makes you uh human and what makes you this particular human uh, and things will somehow line themselves up. Somehow, information will come, you will know what you need to know, and you will not be caught by your pants down that you are not up to date with the latest reading on whatever is whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I really trust that. Because if, if, if that, I trust that, we have to trust that because if we don't trust, we don't have other options. Mm. We are running mm. out of other options. Uh, because if we put our trust in the knowledge, we're all going to be drowned. It's going to be the Noah's Ark. It's going to be, but there will be no Ark, except those people who are putting their brains in a computer and going to the Mars. <laughs> they are building <laughs> Noah's Ark. <laughs> yeah, That's awesome. Samir lives in Harlem. New York City, the city that never sleeps. In this information age where we are all caught up in a tsunami of ideas and news and information, Samir is an urban contemplative. He is modeling a way of being, of inhabiting space and time. He names the hum of the city as sacred, not unlike the wind of Yellowstone National Park. He introduces us to the importance of intentionality of Sabbath and thankfulness and relationship and safe places to explore one another's stories. But for now, 
Consider your life for a moment. Consider the questions that Samir asked. What makes you human? What makes you this particular human? Look, I wonder what would happen if you and I considered those questions on our own for a while. Then, and and this is important, then what if we took the opportunity to consider these questions with a couple of others? Maybe with some friends or neighbors over a meal or some coffee or on a walk. I wonder what we would discover about ourselves, our relationships, and the world. Maybe it would help us to slow down, breathe, and focus on the most important things and be present to the holy and sacred that is right in front of us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. To stay up to date with all the things that are going on in the Sandbox, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter or sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. And we'd love to hear from you. So let us know what you think about the podcast. And if you'd like, rate and review us on iTunes. This really helps us. And join us in the conversation. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with someone who might like it, because there is always more room in the sandbox. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.